Are you facing a crisis in your life or business? It's time to steer yourself in the right direction through the real experiences, passion, and courage of our guests. We're taking the helm with your host, Lynn McLaughlin. Hello and welcome as we take the helm once again. This is going to be a conversation today and I've been looking forward to this for so long because for about the last year, Amber Raymond and I have been writing a children's book series called The Power of Thought. Amber's a master level social worker who specializes in self-awareness and self-development. She's passionate about child mental health, lifelong self-care practices, self-exploration, self-love and well-being. And she's one of my seven beautiful nieces. And I mean beautiful inside and out. It has been so outstanding this year, working with you, laughing, learning, and creating as we build this children's book series. Hi, Amber. Honestly, I'm super excited to be here. Um, I've been waiting for the invitation to your podcast and I didn't have like the guts to be like, hey, can I be on your podcast? So (laughs) I'm really excited to be here. I'm feeling the same sentiments as you. Like I... I'm just really excited to talk about our books and like what really brought us to where we are right now and like why we're so passionate about it. All right. So you, you just reminded me in a conversation not too long ago that it was actually about a year ago that I made the phone call to you. I'm, I'm an avid walker. I was out for a walk. I'd been brainstorming and talking to people about this idea about a children's book series. And I just thought, Amber, Amber is a social worker. That's the piece of the writing puzzle that I need of the brainstorming of the intuition. And, uh, and I called you and what was your response? Honestly, I just remember, um, I was doing my master's placement at the French school board. So I was working with kids at the time and like, realistically it caught me off guard because I wasn't really ready for it, (laughs) but, um, I was in the process of researching emotional intelligence, like with the pandemic and being a mom, I was in the process of trying to figure out how I can help other moms to help their kids become more emotionally intelligent and to really navigate all of the restrictions, the pandemic and everything. So like the synchronicity of your call for me was just like amazing. And I was like at the beginning of a, a huge spiritual growth in like this whole journey of like you, everyone's connected and like finding your purpose in life. And it just all just fell into place. Like it was just so perfect. And I, and I think when you responded that way, I started skipping home, if not a, a little, a slight <laughs> little jog, a little bit of background, just because there are new listeners always that, I mean, I've had a career 31 years in education. I'm teaching part-time at our local college now. And in my previous roles as teacher, vice principal, principal, superintendent, uh, anyone in the, in the field of education will tell you that we have many students who have been struggling and continue to struggle with their mental health. And that has been increasing over the past several years, even pre-COVID. We had to look at how we were going to do things differently as educators, as a whole unit, as a board. And and then, of course, we both have, you know, we have this professional piece, Amber, but we both have a personal connection because as a mom, you know, my kids are all in their 20s, your cousins, they're all doing, you know, really, really well. But there's rocky roads when children are growing up. And I wish I'd had some of the tools or knew what to say to my four-year-old, my five-year-old, my six-year-old when they were feeling frightened in a way where I could give them the tools that they needed instead of being the mom saving the day. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And like on a more professional level, I think like a lot of the issues that I'm seeing with my adult clients, they stem from that exact challenge in their childhood. Like 
they never really understood how they were feeling when they were younger and they don't understand the challenges and the trauma that they went through because it wasn't normal part of society to teach kids about those things. Like adults didn't even know those things to be able to pass down that knowledge. But now I feel like there's this new, like just universal consciousness that the kids and like adults, we just have this need to learn more about what's going on inside us. And I think that that will ultimately lead to a like more emotionally intelligent generation, you know, like I just, I, I getting the chills just thinking about it because I'm so passionate about that eventually becoming part of reality. Like I just, that's for me, what's really been driving my motivation and something that I'm super excited about doing with this book, because by teaching kids what they're feeling, how to recognize it and techniques to manage it, we can almost prevent them from experiencing prolonged anxiety that could ultimately get in the way of them building a life worth living, you know, like as adults, they might have already gone through all of these emotional challenges before they hit their teen years and all the hormones are there and like they're faced with all these opportunities where they can make poor choices. But if they're equipped before they reach those years, then they will be like more likely to make the good choice as opposed to the bad choice and like hang out with the kids who maybe have more healthy lifestyles, you know, like it's, if, the, if we can have an impact on that, then like my purpose is served. Well, we're going to have an impact. Yeah. On that. And when we talk about emotional literacy, emotional vocabulary, you know, what we're really talking about is building social skills, empathy, self-awareness, self-regulation in children so they can make those, like you said, choices of everyday situations that will some, put some people in panic mode and but they have the tools, they don't need to go into panic mode. So to date, we have fully written, uh, I think five books in a, in a potential 10 book series. The first two books have been edited and the first book is about to launch if everything goes the way you and I expect it to. Okay, and so over this whole year, Amber and you and I have been going back and forth and I mean, I've learned so much from you as a master of social worker and you as a human. And I, I think the most beautiful thing about this besides what we're about to launch out into the world to help children is I've become so much closer to you and I've really loved every minute of it. I feel the exact same. Like for me, when I first got that call from you, I felt so flattered like oh she really wants to work with me like I didn't know you more than just like my aunt Lynn or we share a birthday you know like it's <laughs> yeah. it's uh that's what it was for me but now we've gone we've gone from just being like aunt and niece to like I 100% consider you more of a friend now and that for me like that transition has just been magical I love it. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. So one of the experiences as we're writing this book, we've got the draft of the first book called I Have Choices, right? I'm thinking about this as a, from an educator point of view, from a, you know, mom whose kids are grown up. Well, what might they have been able to, to, to learn from this? But, but your expertise in being able to identify the steps, it isn't just about I have choices. It's about children understanding that this is one of the tools that they can use when they're feeling a type of an emotion that is other than happy. I think just something I'd love to add to that is that the step piece for me, like I've noticed a lot of kids that it's really helpful for them to have those concrete steps. Like, yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to just think about my choices and make them better. But what are the action steps that I need to take to get there? Like to have the four action steps, that's something that you could write on a little postcard and you put it in your son's backpack on his way to school. So they know, okay, I have this tool I can pull out of my toolbox and I have these four steps that I can take. You could even put it into picture format so that kids can see those things and like, okay, this is what I need to do, you know? 
So that way they're not blindsided by whatever experience or situation that they're presented with. Like, let's be real. None of these situations that we are addressed, that we are presented with are something that we plan. Like no one plans to go to school and get bullied. No one plans to go to school and not be ready for a test. No one plans for those things. So to have concrete action steps that they can take in the, like at last minute, okay, these are the four steps I need to take. Then like that gives them something that they have concretely to use. And uh, we're going to make that easier for people to do with our QR code, aren't we? Yes. So we well, we're going to put a QR code on the back of the book and the QR code will bring every reader to a website where they can actually print off their own little cue cards that they can keep in their back pocket. So if there's any other situation where they need to reflect and do these four steps, then they can follow it step by step on the QR code. Brilliant. Oh, and I'm thinking, you, you know, storyboards, visual boards, all kinds of other things that educators, primary teachers, early years teachers, clinicians like you can be using in their practice. And yeah. I have choices of just the first book. Okay, let's jump into the fun part. Let's <laughs> jump into the fun part. So you and I, Amber, we're, we, we have the draft. Um, my friend Tracy Reagan over in Australia, who's a children's book editor, did our editing for us. We're ready to go. And the biggest step forward was now finding our illustrator. It was very daunting, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. I was excited, but I was also nervous because that wasn't one of my areas of expertise. I was really relying heavily on you for that one. <laughs> well, so I reached out to some colleagues, some fellow retirees. You know, we have Walkerville Center of the Arts right here. And Karen Tompkins, which many people will recognize her name from Walkerville, uh, put me in touch with the department head, Megan, of, of visual arts from Kennedy. And we met Elisa Batten. Oh, my gosh. So everybody just envisioned this. High school student, right out of Kennedy, first year university student, comes on to a Zoom call with Amber and I, and we just shared the basics of our book. And Amber, just what happened? I feel like it was an instant click. Like we had interviewed other illustrators, but I don't feel like the connection was there like it is with Elisa. Like we almost don't even have to say things and she already knows what we're feeling. Like there's just this like united consciousness between the three of us where we all are just on the same page. And there's, there's never any, like when we give constructive criticism or if we want something changed, like there's no hard feelings about it. Like it's just so purely focused on what we're trying to achieve that we're all just got our heads in the game and we all want the same thing. Right. So it's been amazing. Like I, it, the experience itself has been amazing. Those first ske sketches she did and just plopped up on the board in front of us. It was just, it just, it just blew my mind, her talent. And I've watched her um, online with me doing digital images. I, I'm not even using the right word probably uh, where she's just immediately making a change that we want. And it's, it's a two second thing. It's her level of expertise and knowing the program and her creativity. So we knew we had an imaginary planet named Tezra. We knew we had a game called Turbo. We didn't know what either one of those things were. And we just kind of went back and forth and said, what, what can that look like? And Amber, you came up with the brilliant idea of connecting crystals to the names of our characters. Yeah, that was totally by fluke. Like I didn't really plan for it. Um, I was really just looking for gender neutral names and at that time, like I said, I was going through this huge spiritual growth. My son is obsessed with crystals, like beyond recognition. Like, I don't understand how he's so obsessed with them. So one day we were looking through this little crystal Bible. It has all the different names in it. And I started while we were reading them thinking, wow, those names, like those sounds would be really cool names. So then I just made a list of all kinds of sounds that came from the names of crystals. And well, here we are now with 
all of our characters named after crystals. Yeah. The main character Zirko named after Zircon um, and yeah. the connection with colors and all of that. So then when we, when we started creating the characters and Elisa was coming up with these wonderful things, you know, we want non-gender specific. We want clothes. We want, we want, we were envisioning a book where any child reading it from anywhere in the world could find their place that right. they could say, that's what this character is to me, whatever that looks like open-ended mm -hmm. kind of thing. Right. And then yeah. creating the characters. Well, I don't like that color. Oh, I may have it. It was also fascinating and fun. Yeah. I didn't know. Like, I didn't have expectations. I didn't know what I was going to be seeing at first, right? And But when I seen them, it was like, that is it. Like, that is exactly what we want. The first time we seen Zirko, I was like, they are amazing. Like, just the color and everything. Like, I can't, I keep saying it, but I just keep getting the chills when I talk about it because I know that it's so right. <laughs> so Elisa continues to be busy illustrating. She's about to start um, illustrating book number two for us, and we are absolutely thrilled with her. She is an up-and-coming freelance artist that is not going to have enough time in her calendar to accommodate all of her, <laughs> all of the requests of people that want to hire her. I guarantee it. <laughs> Yeah, she's incredible. Like I have nothing but amazing words to, and praises to send out to Elisa. She's always there when we need her. She's prompt. She's creative. And like her imagination is just, it just blows my mind every time she sends, sends us something new. It's, it's mind blowing. I agree. All right, let's, let's put the fun part away and let's head over to the literature review because when I called you, you were in the midst of doing one and it really validated our work. I mean, I know as an educator, I know as a mom, you know, as a social worker, you know, as a mom, but doing a research review gives credibility to the work that we're doing. So let's talk a little bit about what you did and what you discovered. Without throwing out a whole bunch of numbers, like basically over the years, anxiety has been growing a lot. And realistically, a certain level of anxiety is something that you would expect in, in life. Like everyone, it's almost a way that it keeps us protected, right? We know, okay, we are not going to cross the street. We're not going to do this without looking both ways, right? But when anxiety becomes something that prevents you from doing something in your life that you want to do, that's when anxiety becomes a problem. And anxiety has grown to be so prominent that it, it, there's no one in the world that isn't impacted either directly or indirectly by anxiety, whether it's a mother who wants to go snowboarding with their son, but their son is too terrified to go down because it's like, okay, well, what could happen? I could fall. I could do this. I could do this. And like, there's just like that anticipatory fear that's coming out of it. Right. So it could also be the child who doesn't want to, they want to go snowboarding, but they're afraid to go and they're letting that fear get in the way. Right. So that's just one example, but there's millions of examples of how anxiety and generalized anxiety, social anxiety, all these different forms of anxiety that are getting in the way of people living the life that they want to live. Right. And that's for me where the problem comes from. It's time for a short break. You won't believe the deal that Tristo and I has for you to invest in yourself through marketing workshops. There are 14 of them to choose from. Have you ever thought about gifting a masterclass to a friend or a colleague who made a difference to you and your business? From nutrition and stress management, recalibrating your personal GPS, becoming a published author, time management, creative problem solving, and more. Go to shareyourstories.online, click on the events tab, and find the video library. You can do them on your own time, in your own way, whatever works for you, and you won't believe the deal. Now let's get back to our guest. Right around the time that we had talked about starting this book, like when I got that first call from you, I had just um, 
participated in a webinar that was on anxiety and how to approach parenting and helping parents from a clinician's perspective to help their kids navigate the world of anxiety because we are like I mentioned it in our lit review we are in the middle of a a pen an an anxiety epidemic where anxiety is everywhere and part of this webinar was very much focusing on how anxiety was not so prevalent in the past when the world was actually a scary place to live in we didn't have phones. We didn't have all these things to keep us safe. But now we're in a world where it's hard to be put in a situation where you're not safe. And yet anxiety is so much more prevalent than it used to be. So it's like we're in this world where we shouldn't be scared, but we are. So there's things that we can do to accommodate and to help our kids navigate that and grow up with less anxiety. And that could just be giving them the tools. I agree. And I just want to do a little explanation because your literature review was based on information prior to 2019, pre-COVID. And we all know, anecdotally, forget about even research, that the level of anxiety has gone up dramatically because of everything that people have had to uh, endure. So let's talk about the proactive piece because that's when I first called you, that's where my mind was, Amber. And I was asking myself, what could I do differently? Well, I can't do anything differently. I don't do the shoulda, coulda, woulda. But if we could put something in the hands of parents of four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven and eight, eight-year-olds now, how, how would I have been a better parent? How would I have done things, things differently? And I know I would have. Because there's no, I'm sure there's a manual, what to experience in your first year, what to expect when you're expecting. Well, when we're talking about teaching our children emotional literacy and coping mechanisms so that simple little things in life don't set them off, we don't know how to do that naturally as parents. We have to learn how to do it too. So I love what we've created in these books, Amber, because it's not just about children learning those strategies. It's about adults learning them and modeling them themselves. Absolutely. I just want to go back to how you said, I don't do the shoulda, woulda, couldas, because that right there is something that every parent needs to accept is that they can't hold themselves accountable for things. If you don't know better, how can you do better? Mm -hmm. So for me, like a big piece of being a parent, and I'm sure everyone who's listening is going to relate to this. We blame ourselves if we see our kids doing something wrong, but really like, how are you supposed to do better if you don't know how to do better? So if that's something like for us, like we're going to provide those tools and help parents accept those things, right? Help parents learn to be better so that they can do better. And one thing that I've really learned over the last couple of years on like this self-awareness journey that I'm on, like learning more about myself, what are my triggers? I've really learned that we, our children choose us as parents. Our children are there. They're, they're there to show us in a mirror format. Like these are the things you need to heal. These are the things you still need to work on. If this is bothering you, it's not because of something I'm doing as a child. It's because you need to heal from this. So if you're feeling guilty about like something that happens with your child, then what is it really? Is it because your child is bothered by this or is it because you personally are bothered by this? Like maybe it's an opportunity to heal yourself. Like we, like you said, we are, we are learning from each other. Like we learn from our kids. I learn from my son every day. He learns from me every day. And it's almost like people always say like kids or parents raise their children. But in my mind, it's like, we're growing up together. And then if you're always on that growth set where you're like that, sorry, that mindset where it's like we're growing together, then there's not as much of an expectation to like show up and be perfect because it's like, okay, well, we can learn this together. 
So being yeah. able to take that stance where you're like, okay, yeah, I made a mistake. You tell your son, your daughter, like, oh yeah, I screwed up there. But like, this is something we can both learn from instead of internalizing it and being like, I shouldn't have done that. I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad dad, you know, just take it as a learning opportunity. And and I did a lot of that work too, um, uh, far too late in my life, learning how to be present and trying to understand the complexities of the relationships I've had with my children. And I went back to my childhood, Amber. I did all of that. I actually took a course in meditation, but it became much more in med- much more than meditation. It was really about understanding the basis of relationships and that I am a control freak. And why am I a control freak? And if you go back and, you know, go back to the days of my childhood and all those kinds of things where I felt like I was always the protector, the peacekeeper, just, I don't know, I was also the oldest sibling of four. But I took that into being a parent. So bang on what you're saying. And I think we learn so much from these things ourselves. Like I said, there's no manual. But if I can help people figure it out at a much younger age than me, at your age, or even sooner, then that's what this is all about, isn't it? Absolutely. I feel like the control thing runs in the family for sure with the women in our family. Like it's something that I personally am still like, I catch myself doing things like, oh, I need to clean the kitchen every single day. Like, you know, like little things like that, that when I was younger, the house needed to be clean. So now I've carried that into my adulthood and yeah, my house is always clean, but I've learned that it's not like my life will be over if right, I don't clean right, the kitchen right. before I go it's, to bed, right? It's funny how perceptions are so different, right? You can, right. I, I'll, I'll tell you a, a quick little story. So flashback to a few years ago, I was out for a walk with you for a few friends. And if you're in Windsor-Essex, you know the Chrysler Trail used to be a railway line that went right through the county. And now it's our walking trail. Well, I happened to be walking behind. It was probably about two acres away from the farm that my siblings and I all grew up on. Your mom. And I just said to my friends as I was walking by, imagine the 10-year-old Lynn sitting there on that picnic table looking out at me walking by and say, what do you have to tell me? What am I in for? You know, it's so true. You go back and reflect and you think of things differently. But if you don't do that personal reflection and the deep dive to try to say, why did I think that? Why, why did that become so important to me? Then you can, you can do things to change it, right? My relationship with my kids is so much better today because I've learned that I was a control freak, but I've learned to let that go and listen and be present much more. And I truly feel that's what life is all about. Like, I think that if we came to this life and we didn't grow or learn from our mistakes then we didn't serve our purpose here right. like I shared this post a couple weeks or a couple days ago about how we are all equal and it's so human to just judge and compare but we are all equal we are all valued the exact same way we are all worthy of the same thing so it's like how do we instill these thoughts and these core beliefs really into our children like how do we instill the core belief that you are just as important as every other person on this planet that's right how do you tell your child that they need to remember that they have a purpose you are special just like every single person out there is special and i feel like getting those messages across to a child could really help the planet as a whole grow to be more conscious more loving more empathetic and more compassionate and I really think that that's what's missing in the world today so we're doing it and we're not the only authors doing it but as co-authors you're not going to find another planet a a book with a planet named Tezzera that's built on crystals with characters that are named after crystals and glow let's talk about the glow aspect I think this is the most exciting part 
I do love the glow. I think that kids, it's important for kids to understand that you can look at somebody and recognize how they're feeling. What does their face look like? What is their body language like? Is there, are they looking down because they're maybe self-conscious in a situation? And I think that having the glow all of on our characters will really emphasize the idea that you can, you don't have to have someone tell you that they're sad or tell you that they're scared or tell you that they're nervous. But if someone, if you notice that someone is looking down or feeling anxious about something, you can play a role in uplift that person in a positive way so my hopes with the glow was that kids will start to pay attention to the body language to the subtle ways that their their friends at school are are showing their emotions so that maybe they can step up and bring some joy back into other kids lives so at the beginning of the series in the first book our characters don't know how to manage their emotions so if they're feeling happy and we, we introduce vocabulary through every single book when you see the word happy, it's always going to be in green and our characters glow around. They have a beautiful glow and aura around around their heads in the color that they're feeling. So if we introduce frustration and worry in the color orange, every book is going to take our child, the children from the planet Tezra and the children who are reading it and the parents and the guardians and the educators and the clinicians through a process where that being, that child, is going to change into the color of green because they have figured out a strategy to get themselves there. And I hope that it really it gives like the motivation and the excitement for the readers to practice those skills and go out and see if they can recognize if their friends are looking sad or angry this day, you know, like, will it encourage kids to be more present in the moment and paying attention to their surroundings? And that's really like an ultimate goal for me to just have children be more present and mindful of what's happening inside their body and around them. Mm -hmm. So here we are, we're getting ready to do our launch the end of March and um, we've got our author photos, but we don't have Elisa's illustrator photo. And she came up with a brilliant idea. Why don't I do sketches of the three of us as beings living on the planet Tezra and go to, go to the website, limaglockland.com under books, Power of Thought children's book series and check out those illustrations. And now we're having a contest. If you want to throw your hat in the ring, we will be doing a draw at our book launch on Instagram and Facebook Live. And we're going to pull the name and Elisa will do a caricature sketch of you if you're the winner. It's so much fun, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. And I, I do want to draw attention to the fact that when we come, when we all agreed to do the caricatures, it was Elisa's idea as well. She messaged us one day and she said, hey, can you tell me what your favorite crystal is? Because I'll use the color palette from your crystals to choose your color palette of your of your character. And I was just like mind blown. Like that was so for me, that was so creative. Like I do have favorite crystals and I just found that like she's always so dead on. And I do like I'm flattered by my Tezranian counterpart. I think she's beautiful. I love that. Tezranian counterpart. Yeah. <laughs> She's beautiful. And we have not met Elisa in person yet. And we hope to be able to do that very soon as things are getting a little bit safer and opening up here in Ontario uh, with yeah. COVID. Thank goodness. <laughs> we would be honored if you would sign up for the competition. You might be the winner of the caricature draw. And we'll also keep you up to date on what the actual launch plans will be. We know that we're going to be offering bulk orders at discounts. So if you are in a position or an organization where you're going to want to order more than 20 books, 
we'll have something ready for you to order bulk and we'll be very happy to do personalized um, inscriptions and somewhere not too far down the line we will be having an in-person book signing I'd like to note too that we are going to be offering the book in French and in English. So oh, of course, how can French school board or like Caminote Francophone, we have something for you too. Right, and with we have French in every school board with French immersion in Ontario. It's different across every province, and we will be starting to contact organizations that we think might be interested in bulk orders starting in Ontario and then expanding to Canada throughout Canada, North America, and of course we would like our book series to be in every library to reach as many children as possible. And uh, we just talked this morning about publishing possibly in the Spanish language as well. Yeah. All right. So Amber, you also own your run your own business and we can't sign off without you explaining mess makers and letting people know how to contact you. Okay. So um, mess makers is something that kind of spawned from right around the same time that when you called me, I was, like I said, I was doing the research to how can I help impact the kids in a positive way? How can I help bring back that emotional intelligence and the social pieces that have been lacking for the last couple of years? Right. So, um, I decided that over the summer when I graduated, I was going to offer a day program that was very play and art therapy based to teach kids how to recognize their own emotions and really be self-aware. So I named the business Messmakers because I wanted to focus on internal motivation, empathy, self-awareness, social skills, and self-regulation. So there's three S's in the word mess. And I just thought it just clicked. It just sounded perfect. Like I was like, this is it. It's going to be great. So over the summer last year, I actually offered a day program for the kids. It was quite successful. Like I've gotten a lot of great feedback. Um, the families, I still get messages now and they're like, oh, check out this picture of like this, this kid that came to my program who is overcome this fear of like animals or different things. And they, they thank my program and the techniques that the kids have learned from that. So for me, that's like pure joy, just knowing that I had a positive impact on somebody's life. Right. So from that, when the school year started again, I wasn't able to offer the program in person and I decided, okay, well, how can I help people? And it kind of grew into a private practice. And now I'm offering like one-on-one -on -one counseling um, out of an office in Lakeshore. And it's been great. Like I work with people, the, gen the most of my population is between the age of five and 25. That is a huge age range. And like I said earlier, like a big piece of like the older population that I work with, like the young adults is stuff that they are still trying to navigate from challenges when they were children. Mm -hmm. So that's another piece too. Like that prevention piece is huge for me, but um, I am in the process of building a bigger team to offer the mess makers program this summer on a larger scale at a different location. Cause it was quite hectic having five to 10 wee ones running around my house in my backyard last summer. I loved every minute of it, but I was tired at the end of the day. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so this summer we're planning something on a bigger scheme. We are going to reach out to school boards like high, like university and college to see if there's people in the social work departments that would like to volunteer and really be part of it. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at with it. And that's Messmakers with three S's and that's your website, messmakers.com, correct? That's where you can find me. That's All right, hon. It's been it's been a blast. We're gonna continue working together. Uh, I I start working isn't even the right word. Having fun together, brainstorming together, becoming creative, uh, more creative, more present. Um, and I'm loving changing every the world together. <laughs> yes, changing the world together. I love ya, and I can't wait to continue this journey. 
Oh, the feelings are mutual. Thank you so much for having me. And everything you want to know about the Power of Thought book series is at lynnmclaughlin.com under the books tab. Now we are shutting down the studio for a week to take a vacation, but I want to introduce Steve Garvin, who will be joining us on the 23rd of March. Steve thought his story was worthless until he discovered he'd been playing a role that wasn't his. When he became the author of his own story, his self-compassion, self-worth, it all went from barely surviving to thriving. He's the host of Sing Your Heart Song Summit. We're going to learn a lot more about that, but it's where hearts, souls, and missions sing together in abundance for speakers, authors, and coaches. Looking forward to that discussion. In the meantime, stay healthy and safe, everyone, and we'll see you on March 23rd. Thanks for tuning in and posting your review of Taking the Helm on your favorite platform. We'll give you a shout out in a future episode. To be inspired by people who are steering us in the right direction, go to lynnmclaughlin.com where you can search previous guests by the topic of your choice. And while you're there, download Lynn's gift. There's more than one way to get through a crisis.